Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And a warning that this program contains audio descriptions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who have died. And this is Marissa and I'll be, I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening and I'm back. I'm back after um, a long summer break, raring to go. There are many, many things that have happened. In particular, we've looked at, um, we will be looking at, sorry, um, material from Alice Springs emerging from that about the so-called crime rate, looking at um, the alcohol restrictions and how this is affecting the lack of support for First Nations people. But yeah, going on with the show, this show is dedicated to First Nations people and in particular to First Nations woman Veronica Nelson, who died in custody at Dame Phyllis Frost Prison on the 2nd of January 2020. I was able to attend the Melbourne Coroner's Court today via live streaming and I will give you some of my impressions of the inquest um, as the show go, goes on. I will first up on the show read out some statements in addition from the family, so I'll be doing that first up, and then we will provide extensive coverage of the inquest findings next week. Um, then after that, we will speak with, with Cheryl Axelby, who is the co-chair of Change the Record Australia. And we will speak to her about Australia missing the deadline to implement anti-torture protocols. She will talk about this in custody. And then after that, we will speak with Uncle Kevin Kelvin about Invasion Day, which symbolises dispossession, colonisation and genocide to many Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And Uncle um, Kelvin will also speak about the voice to Parliament so pretty soon I'll be reading out the statements from from the the family of Veronica Nelson and suffice it to say that it was a very, very harrowing um, inquest and indeed the findings of Veronica's inquest in summary were handed down today with Coroner Simon McGregor at the Melbourne Coroner's Court. And one of the things that really came out of the inquest today was that Veronica Nelson's death could have been preventable. 
So while I, I set up the statements um, and read out, before I read out those statements, I'm just going to go into an announcement and then we'll continue on with the, um, with the inquest findings. Peru's Indigenous president has been overthrown. Support the uprising to protect land and water and fight for a new Peru. Come to our fundraiser, Peruvian food, music and culture, featuring Melbourne's own Amazonian cumbia band, Chicha Yeye, Lockdown Studios, 329 Johnson Street, Abbotsford, Saturday 4th of February at 8pm. Find us on Facebook, search Latin Revolution Peru. El momento es ahora. And in case you've just tuned in to the Doing Time Show, this is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, and you're with Marissa. So I'm just going to recap about the findings of the inquest and read you some information that was put out by the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, and then I'll read out the statements of the family after that. Today, the coroner delivered their findings into the passing of Veronica Nelson. And, oh, that's all, that's all I've said. Anyway, I gave you a little bit of a summary just before, and, I, and I'll talk about my impressions later. Statement by Auntie Donna Nelson, Veronica's mother. And the statement follows. My name is Donna Nelson, and I am Veronica's mother. Veronica was my firstborn child and she was my best friend. She was kind, caring and compassionate. She was loved by her family, her community and her friends. She was a proud Aboriginal woman who loved her culture. She never harmed a soul other than her own. Veronica did not deserve to die in such a cruel, heartless and painful way. I chose for a long time not to hear or watch the tapes of her final moments, but I finally watched them during this inquest. It ruined me and has changed me forever. My daughter's pleas for help haunt me every night and I can't stop hearing her voice. To the lawmakers, I want you to sit and listen to Veronica's final hours. I want her voice to ring in your ears until you realise that our justice system is broken. Victor uh, Veronica should never have been locked up. You were supposed to change bail laws to stop a white male monster from killing people, but instead you filled our prisons with non-violent Aboriginal women like my daughter Veronica. Our bail laws need to change now. To correct care Australasia, you tried to cover up my daughter's death. You silenced the nurse who tried to speak up about your doctors. I'm glad that you lost your contract. I'm glad that this inquest exposed you, and I pray that my daughter's voice will expose all the other times you covered up deaths in the past. My daughter's death will not be in vain, and she will continue the, to lead the way for justice for others in death as she did in life. To the Department of Justice, you were supposed to review the doctors and nurses and tell the coroner what went wrong. Instead, you listened to my daughter's pleas for help and saw no wrongdoing. You too were exposed. You showed the world that your supposed independent reviews are self-serving and can never be trusted, that you too are a part of this broken system and you too need to be held to account and change. This inquest showed that Veronica was failed at every level of the justice system, 
from the moment she came into contact with police on 30th December 2019. When she travelled on the tram that Monday afternoon, the police saw an Aboriginal woman and beelined for her. It was this profiling that led to her horrific death, where her final words at 4am were calling out for someone to help her. She called out for her deceased father. That's how much pain she was in. The response from the prison guard was to tell her to stop screaming as she was disturbing the other prisoners. As her mother, this will haunt me until the day I die. I hope it haunts all of you who didn't help my daughter when she needed you the most. The system continued to fail her after her death too. The prison, Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, Department of Justice, Justice Health, all said that my Veronica's death didn't need an inquest, that there was nothing to see here, business as usual. You patted each other on the back for a job well done in your debrief. Aboriginal women being incarcerated and dying in custody is so normalised that there would be no inquest if it weren't for the bravery and care of coroner's court who saw that Veronica's death wasn't right. To coroner Simon McGregor, I thank you for listening to my pockham. I thank you and your team and your, for your bravery. I thank my legal team, Robinson Gill Lawyers, Ali, Rishi, Stella, for standing by me and fiercely fighting for my daughter. I want to thank Megan, April, Crystal, Tarnine, Tori, uh, sorry, Troy, Stacy, all the interested parties and the experts who helped expose this broken justice system. I thank everyone who listened to my pockham and who have fought for her dignity and for justice. I want you all to listen to my pockham and remember her voice and to stand with me to demand a better justice system. Her death never should have happened, and I want you to fight with me and make sure that no other mother has to bury her child due to the racism and cruelty of individuals and the racism and violence of a broken justice system. I will not let my Pockham's death be forgotten. I urge you all to remember her too and support our family in our continued fight for change and for justice for my daughter. My cop Pockham should not have been locked up. She should, she should not have begged for her life. She should be here with me today. If we do not change bail laws today, it will be someone else's daughter tomorrow. To the Premier Daniel Andrews, you should hang your head in shame. You need to do your job and get our daughters out of prisons. No more cover-ups, no more unintended consequences. It's time to save our daughters. It's time to change the law. It's time for Pockham's Law. Auntie Donna Nelson Statement by Uncle Percy Lovett, Veronica's partner. Veronica was the love of my life. We were together for more than 20 years and we did everything together. She was a kind and loving girl who would always help people no matter who they were. She taught me everything I know about Aboriginal culture. I came to court every day and now I know how Veronica died, how she died in pain begging for help. Every night, as soon as I shut my eyes, I can hear her crying out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. She's really hurting. I know every bit of pain she was feeling. When you've been with a person that long, you know how they bear pain. The person, guard, sorry, the prison guards, doctors and nurses and all the people in charge neglected her and let her die. They were cruel and racist. They lied to her, laughed at her and told her to stop asking for help, all while she was dying. They treated her like she wasn't human. The other women in prison were the only ones who tried to help. Veronica shouldn't have died. 
All she needed was to go to hospital. If she was at home, I would have taken her. Then she would be alive today. We would still be together. Veronica should never have even have been in jail in the first place. The police officer who arrested her was off duty. She was just walking down the street minding her own business. She wouldn't have been picked up if she was a white woman. The police target us blackfellas. I was in court when Veronica applied for bail. No one came up to me or asked me anything. The lawyer, Tass Antos, who was meant to be representing Veronica, didn't do his job. The magistrate had made up her mind before Veronica started speaking. No one listened to Veronica. After she died, correct care and the government tried to sweep her death under the rug. They didn't do proper reviews. They lied in their reviews. They said that they had done a good job, even though they had all the evidence and all the tapes. Both correct care and the government tried to stop us getting information about Veronica's death. We had to fight them for information. I thank Nurse Stephanie Hills for coming forward and telling the truth about what happened to Veronica. I know she tried to help Veronica. Thank you to Coroner McGregor and Council Assisting for properly investigating what happened to Veronica. Thank you for treating Veronica with dignity, for listening to her and for telling the truth about what happened. Now it is up to the government and people in charge to listen. They need to make sure what happened to Veronica never happens again. The organisations and people responsible for Veronica's death need to be held accountable. Us blackfellas are held accountable when we do something wrong, so they have to be held accountable. The prison officers, especially Tracy Brown, doctors and nurses, especially Dr Sean Runacris and nurse Athena George, who ignored Victoria, should not be able to work in a prison again. The police officer who arrested Veronica should be investigated. The barrister Tass Antos, who didn't do his job, shouldn't be able to represent anyone again. Correct Care Australasia should be prosecuted for their role in Veronica's death and for covering up her death. The people in the government who said nothing was done, was done wrong need to be held to account. Corrections Victoria need to take responsibility for not caring for Veronica and for all the prison officers who neglected Veronica. The government needs to make big changes to stop this from happening again. The government needs to fix prison health care. These companies who just want to make profits off us shouldn't be involved in health care in prisons. Blackfellas should be able to get health care from the Aboriginal health services. They should have the same doctors and nurses as in the community. The bail laws have got to be changed. They just have to. Veronica shouldn't have been in jail. She should have got bail. No one should be in prison for shoplifting. The government needs to properly investigate deaths in custody and not let anyone sweep them under the rug again. They need to listen to families and stop ignoring us. Any changes to laws should be called Pockham's Law, the nickname for Veronica by her mother, Auntie Donna. I want everyone to remember what happened to Veronica. The Premier, every government minister, every head of a prison, every prison guard, every doctor and nurse in prison, every police officer, every lawyer and every magistrate. They have to see what happened to Veronica and to change. No one should have to die in prison. No one should die in pain. No one should die alone in a prison cell. Thank you to all the people who have supported us. To Troy and the Curry team at the court, the women at the coroner's court, the Dijemi Foundation, all the people who donated food and all the people who came to court to support us. I especially want to thank Nari McGregor 
mine and Veronica's old friend who came to court with her children every day. I mostly want to thank my lawyers at Val's, Sarah and the team and my counsel Andrew and Steph for the amazing job they've done fighting for justice for Veronica. And um, and that's that's actually um, a state, two statements that I read out. And I actually found these statements on the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service website just before my show. And I'm really happy that I was able to read those out. So really, just quickly before we go on to, um, to Cheryl um, from Change the Record to speak about torture, um, one of the things that I wanted to say is that what happened to Veronica um, and and the coroner actually, Simon McGregor actually included this in the handing down of his findings, is that is is actually against the Charter for Victorian Charter of Human Rights, um, quite a few sections, liberty and also um, the right to life. So I'm just going to go into a an, a quick announcement, and we'll be going on straight to Cheryl from Change the Record. St Kilda Festival is back in 2023 with two days of summer fun, Saturday 18th and Sunday 19th of February. Saturday kicks off with a celebration of First Peoples artists including Christine Arnu, Jem Cassadaly, Dean Brady and more. On Sunday, the party takes to the St Kilda streets with hoodoo gurus, Yothu Yindi, Confidence Man and heaps more. Free and all ages, see the program at stkildafestival.com.au. St Kilda Festival is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show and I'm sure that would have brought up, brought up a lot of issues um, in regards to what's happened with Veronica Nelson to which this show is dedicated. Next up on the show we're going to be speaking with um, Cheryl Ax- Axelby from the from Change the Record, and we're going to be speaking with her right now. Hello, Cheryl. Welcome. Hello. Lovely to have you. Sorry if we're a couple of minutes late. I was. So, I really had to read mm-hmm. out those statements by the family. Well, they're very important statements, and my heart goes out to the family. And, and for once, I'm going to congratulate a a um, the coroner for actually taking a stand, which you know we don't get too often in this country. You know, Cheryl, it's very true. They really, um, he really took a stand and talked a lot about drug stigma, like the way that women, Aboriginal women in particular, and all women are stigmatised in prison for withdrawing from heroin. Yep. Let's talk more about this briefly later on um, in our interview. But welcome, Cheryl. Can you just introduce yourself with your full name and what land you're from? Yeah, so Cheryl Axelby. I'm from South Australia. Um, I'm a Narunga woman, and my mum, my mum come from the York Peninsula in South Australia. Beautiful. Now it's lovely to have you on. I think we had you on a couple of years ago, actually, um, in regards to, to other other matters about deaths in custody. But I wanted to really talk about one of the latest media releases, and I believe you were you actually were quoted in there as well. Australia to miss deadline to implement anti-torture protocols. So, Cheryl, Australia faces a looming international deadline, which I think has already passed. It was on the 20th of January, to fully implement the UN's anti-torture protocol. And while that was going on, I interviewed Monique Hurley from the Human Rights Law Centre. She's a senior lawyer there. But could you talk to us about 
about this and um, and what's been going on? Well, what's been going on is, and, and this started way back when I was chair of National Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Legal Services as well, um, pushing for Australia at the time to ratify the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture. And what um, has transpired is, of course, that they made a commitment to do so. And here we are five years later um, and the deadline has been missed. And also, I think it's also important to point out that, you know, it's been over 30 years since the Royal Commission and Aboriginal Death in Custody of our mob. And, you know, a recent Human Rights World Watch report highlighted that First Nations people continue to be overrepresented in the criminal legal system. We continue to face dehumanising, dangerous and torturous conditions in custody. So why wouldn't, you know, the Australian government work with the states and territories um, to ensure, um, to address the alarming rates and, and the crisis that we have in our prisons? Why wouldn't they implement the um, OPCAT? It's just, it just does my head in, to be honest, to continue, you know, that we're still here talking about it today. Me too. Like, I just don't understand, Cheryl. Like, what... Is it cover-up or what? what's going on? I think it's on? about, I think, you know, implementing OPCAT is to ensure there's like true independent oversight and accountability of police and prisons. And um, it's a critical step. It's independent, it's supposed to be independent um, towards the end of, you know, the discriminatory laws, policies and practices that cause our people to, to die behind bars. Um, and also last year, the UN Subcommittee on the Prevention of Torture had to suspend their visit due to the lack of cooperation from authorities in Queensland and New South Wales um, who would not really um, allow them access, um, freely independent access into their prison systems. And, you know, it does raise the question, um, you know, if there is not allowing such a body to come in and walk in and to be able to take an immediate, you know, uh, visit, um, you know, it does raise causes of concerns, as, you know, as to why um, they are refusing this. Yeah, look, it's it, I don't understand. It's like, change the record and the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services and the Human Rights Law Centre. You, all of you, are calling for the Albanese government to work with states and urgently commit to properly funding effective and independent oversight of all places of detention across Australia. Yep. But doesn't actually it actually go a step further than that? I mean. Don't we need to call on governments for for decades to take the deaths and mistreatment and abuse of, of deaths in custody seriously? Look, we've got plenty of evidence. We've had evidence for decades upon decades. We've had a number of reports that have been released, you know, only in the last five or so years. Um, we've had the Royal Commission in Northern Territory looking into the terrible treatment of, you know, young children um, locked up in detention over there. You know, we've got issues and um, concerns in WA, some in Queensland, like just about every state and territory, where the treatment of young children and adults um, is um, breaches um, basic human rights um, law and principles. And we still have not had any government, although we had the Royal Commission into the Northern Territory and there were some commitments to shut down Dondale, but then we've seen them renege on that. Um, and now what we're seeing is, again, investment funding going into building and strengthening prisons rather than actually looking at daily intervention prevention opportunities that could be happening and driven by our people and de delivering and delivering programs which we know could work. Because obviously 
these programs you know, run by governments um, are not working. So it's been over 30 years since the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody and mass incarceration of Aboriginal people. And yet the optional protocol to the Convention Against Torture are still not doing anything. No, because, you know, we've got some states and territories that have partially implemented um, or, you know, have final measures. um, To be fair, And we have to question, again, though, the independence of those as they were originally intended because we know that um, some of them um, are, you know, their own um, institutions are running the protocol process. So they're not really independent. And this is the whole concept about having independent um, visitors um, who can access the prison institutions at any time to ensure um, that they are upholding the standards that they're required to. Um, And yet, you know, we see some partial, but I probably could question again about how independent they really are. In other words, we we need independent oversight of police and prisons. Absolutely. And we need it now, really. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there is, as we've talked about, there's enough evidence here. There's enough deaths in custody. We've had over 500 deaths in custody since the Royal Commission. I think um, last year alone, um, I think it was around about 17 deaths in custody Australia-wide. Our people, you know, our adults make up 30% of the total population, um, prison population, despite us only being 3.2% of the population. And our children, um, in particular, um, on the average day, 48% of our, close to 50% of our children, 10 to 17 years, are in the prisons um, nationwide. And recent data also shows that our mob are six times more likely to die in custody in comparison to non-Aboriginal people. How much more data and statistics do we need to convince governments that what they are doing is causing further trauma and harm and, in actual fact, is creating um, trauma from when our mob are released, you know, from prison and also, you know, causes, you know, relates to recidivism where our mob going back into the prison because they're not getting the supports that they need to be able to have better options to be able to make better decisions, you know, in, in regards to their life. And all of this is the impact of colonisation the impact of the stolen children generation. You know, we have had sorry, but sorry is not enough. What we need is investment in our communities and we need our own communities developing their solutions. We've had enough of being told what to do. There needs to be a lot more community-controlled Aboriginal-led organisations. A greater investment, absolutely, because a lot of our communities can deliver and run programs. And there have been some programs that have proven to work that are actually no longer funded. So we have a system um, that obviously, um, you know, we have non-Aboriginal agencies actually, you know, making profit out of the disadvantage of our people. So let's change the narrative. Let's look at more community control and um, driven um, programs because... One size does not fit all, and each community know what their needs are and what can be delivered. Indeed, and and there needs to be more transparency, transparency and oversight. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Cheryl, wouldn't you would you agree then that Veronica Nelson's what happened to Veronica Nelson um, is is a primary example of all this, given that there have been covered environments and uh, yeah. you know a lot of systemic failures and and indeed a lot of stigmatisation. Absolutely, and you know, and there's lots more stories that when we look at you know criminalisation of our mob the solitary confinement of children and of adults. And, you know, to give you a couple of examples, particularly relating to young fellows, um, you know, there was a report last year by the West Australia Inspector of Custodial Services who described the use of solitary confinement at Bensey Hill Youth Detention Centre um, in detail, finding its use constituted cruel, inhumane and degrading treatment. We, there was a one-child forced to spend more than 22 hours a day in their cell for 15 out of 27 days in November 2021. And this included one period of five continuous days and a second period of six continuous days. This is in breach of UN anti-torture rules. And also in the Northern Territory, there were, was found on 17th of February 2021, four young children detained at Dondale Youth Detention were placed in separation following an incident of self-harm. And all these four children had complex needs as a result of, you know, um, neurological impairment and complex trauma. And here we are locking up kids and isolating them when they're actually crying out for help, which is again in breach of the UN anti-torture rules. What we don't have here is accountability and we need to not just have the opt but I think we need to have some criminal... Um, criminal... Um, uh, recall, because a lot of the states and territories, institutions and you know, people that work in them are actually protected. And I think we've got to come to a stage when we're looking at the number of deaths that are actually happening and the, and the cruel treatment that's happening to our people in, in custody, whether it be children or adults. The time has come where we need to start looking at, well, what else needs to happen? We have you know, legislation about when... Our mob, or any any person out there in the Australian society, commits an offence. We need to start looking at within institutions. Indeed, and, and one of those institutions actually is uh, the bail laws. What's happening yeah. in Victoria? You know, you've got over representation of Aboriginal women in prison now. The bail laws that were changed were actually meant to, um, you know, have people that have committed violent crimes, mm. and in fact, you know, Aboriginal women are now dying in custody and ending yeah. up there for long periods of time. Yeah. And this tough-on-crime approach that we have in this country, um, you know, it's, I call it the, the rack and pack and sack and sort of mentality that we have um, when, you know, an offence is committed and community, you know, of course, have every right to be upset and want to see change. But I don't think the community know enough about what's going on in these institutions to realise that they're not the place if they're looking for rehabilitation for people in the community who commit offences. Um, and also, you know, let's also be putting the cards on the table here that those bail laws are impacting our mob the most. We have the highest rate of um, remands um, and some of our mob are doing longer on remand than they actually would do for a sentence. So we really need to look at the system because I think it can be open to abuse um, that when we have these bail laws, um, that there may be identified um, fellows that, you know, police want to get off the street. Um, and to be honest, I do believe that they can actually utilise those bail laws, you know, to 
their benefit and to the detriment of our communities. Cheryl, tell us about Change the Record briefly. What, what is Change the Record? Well, we're the only national um, Aboriginal justice-led coalition and we came together um, to highlight the incarceration crisis that we have in this country. We are a coalition of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal uh, members ranging from Amnesty, Oxfam, National Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Legal Services, National Family Violence Prevention Legal Services. Um, there's about, about 18 um, of us. Um, we have a Black Caucus, um, which is made up of the um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander People's members um, who drive um, the Change the Record um, principles and initiatives. We also have a Blueprint for Change, um, which we've um, shared with government and we go out and we lobby um, on things such as the bar laws, such as OPCAT. One of the big things that we've been um, challenging or raising and, and, and campaigning for um, is to raise the age of criminal responsibility from 10 years of age to 14 years of age in line with UN um, Convention of the Rights of the Child because, again, 60 to 70% of our kids um, in the 10 to 14 year um, of age make up uh, kids nationally that are locked up. And again, we're just creating an ever-ending revolving door um, into institutionalisation, right from kids coming into care. Um, and there's real strong evidence that demonstrates that kids that go into care, state care, actually are more, more than likely to enter into the justice system. In actual fact, we criminalise our kids some of our kids become criminalised because they're in that child protection system um, and they're criminalised because they may have, you know, damaged property or because, you know, because of their trauma and because they've been removed from families um, and they're criminalised for that. And that's how usually um, a lot of our kids will enter the system. Cheryl, it's been really lovely to have you on the show and I'm just really glad that we were able to cover a wide range of topics um, in in regards to this, so um, I better go in a sec because we've got um, yes. Uncle Kelvin coming on soon. But um, I've, but but I, I felt like I needed to really give you an extended interview um, just to just finally how can how can we all help with all this? Well, what we um, have on our Change the Record website, um, you know, mob can actually sign up to support the campaign. We also, um, you know, ask you to contact your local pollies and let them know that you would like them to raise the age of criminal responsibility. You know, we've had the Attorney Generals, again, um, all the Attorney Generals across the country looking at this for about three, four years, um, and we still have not had any implementation other than Northern Territory, who will only raise the age to 12 and yet to do so. Um, and ACT has made a commitment to 14, but we've not seen that yet. So what we need is some, you know, champions out there. We need some politicians um, to also champion the cause because they also know um, that by raising the age and looking at alternatives um, that hopefully we can break that intergenerational cycle of incarceration, um, you know, for our future generations. Cheryl, great to have you and I'm hoping we can have you back more often. No worries. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that was Cheryl from Change the, Rec the Record, speaking about a media release that was put out by the Human Rights Law Centre in regards to implementing anti-torture protocols and deaths in custody.
And we'll be having giving you more coverage on that from the Human Rights Law Centre sometime next week. Travellers Aid Australia is offering free scooter safety training sessions. They will help mobility scooter and powered wheelchair users to practice their skills and build confidence in navigating their local community and accessing public transport. These sessions are delivered by trained facilitators and volunteers and are provided across Melbourne. For more information or to register interest, visit travellersaid.org.au Call on 03-9654-2600 or email info at travellersaid.org.au. Travellers Aid Australia is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And last but not least, I want to welcome Uncle Calvin to the show. Hello, Uncle. Hello, Marissa. How are you, my sweet? Good. Yeah, I'm it's Yama going Yama. Yama. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. And what does ya what's that mean? Yama I means it's a way of saying good day. Um Aboriginal people have been saying it for years. It's used bilaterally throughout different states and territories. Beautiful. Um, pretty well most places will go, someone will say Yama to you. Oh, there's so many different different languages, isn't there, as well? Mm-hmm. That's very right. Now, Uncle, um I was wondering if you could tell us what land you're from. Okay, well, that's um, how I like to start any sort of uh, dialogue. If this was first of all, acknowledge the country that I'm in. Um, if, if we're all together in one place, I do a welcome the country, but because we're all from different uh, aspects of the nation throughout uh, Australia at the moment in different places, I'd like to say acknowledgement in regards to where I'm from, which is the Gamilaroi people of the Gamilaroi Nation, which is northwest New South Wales. So if you look at it on a land map... Um, it takes up roughly around about or oh, three or four hundred kilometres um, in one direction, and then probably maybe ooh, almost five hundred in the other direction. So east, west, north, south, you've got about four hundred, and then about five hundred in the opposite direction. It's a very big landmass, the Yugamilaro Nation. Um, Baraji people is a little bit bigger, and there's a few other ones out there in the central desert. But um, as far as landmass is concerned, the Milaro Nation is a really big one. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, Uncle, we've had a couple of conversations off air, haven't we, um, in regards to Invasion Day, and we've, we've recently had Invasion Day on the 26th of January, but can you share with us what, what, your, what your views are and your feelings about it all, and including the, the voice to Parliament? Try to, I don't know what's happened, but I think your phone might be breaking out a little bit. Oh, can you hear me now? That's better. Yeah, thank you. All right. No worries. Okay, well, listen, um, first of all, I want to say this to uh, our listening audience out there at the moment, that the opinions I put forward here yeah. are my own, and even though I do belong to quite a number of bodies and entities throughout the state of New South Wales and even other elements of Australia, the opinions that I'm voicing today are my own. Okay, so we must be aware of that. Okay, let's have a look at the um, Invasion Day, or for Australia Day, as it's also known. Um there have been two camps mainly in regards to invasion. Day one, that is that the country never gave up its sovereignty, and that um, because of the fact that it was stolen from land, as far as their First Nations people are concerned, and they've always seemed to think that that's the way it has to be. And as such, um, such days as Australia Day uh, is not to be 
looked at as a, way, a time of celebration, but uh, commiseration and uh, commemoration because of the fact that, by and large, a lot of Aboriginal people or First Nations people don't celebrate it. And they think of it as being a day where um, people who celebrate it are being uh, guilty of turning their back on the fact that this country was never ceded, that the sovereignty was never given. So we have those sort of attitudes. And there are other people who are saying, look, um, all of these issues that happened, you know, happened more than 200 and something years ago, and therefore we've all moved ahead in time and we're in this space today, and perhaps we could look at it as being a time for, OK, um, let's have a, a way of celebrating the day without being um, forgetting the past and so forth. I myself personally am of the opinion that the only way we can move forward is if all of us move forward together. That is, both Aboriginal people or First Nations people and non-Aboriginal people get together and go forward. Now, on on, uh, Australia Day, Invasion Day, I did two welcomes to country. One was in my own town of Inverell, where I live and where I'm speaking to you from now, and the other one was a little town just about 26 k's out, which was called Tinga. Now, both of these towns have got a reasonable-sized population of Aboriginal people in them, uh, First Nations people, and they all have the same opinion. That is, one, that um, we either celebrate it and commemorate it, or we're dead set against it. I'd like to see Aboriginal people or First Nations people and non-Aboriginal people get together as one and say, let's both do both things, celebrate and commemorate, OK? Rather than breaking it down as the... You know, the worst of all evils or the best of all things. If you try and come from the point of view to say, okay, um, if we want to live in the past and we stay there, then we're never going to move forward. And other people are saying, but if we don't recognise all those things that happened many years ago, we can never move forward because those things that have happened in the past will be returned there and say, you know, people are guilty of certain atrocities, and we'll come to that in a minute, in regards to... um, taking over the nation which is today known as Australia. Uh, there are elements that will say that sit on the fence and they, and they say, well, it's neither one nor the other. The best thing I can say here is if you want to get somewhere in the world, you can't do it by yourself. You're going to need to have the assistance of others. Everyone's got to move forward together, not separately. You know, that's world. true. We, it, we, we need to be united and, and I think a lot of the time, Uncle, what I've really seen with a lot of non-Indigenous indigenous people is that they say, oh, well, it's, things aren't ha- happening now, but they are. I mean, looking at the Bringing Them Home report and all the, you know, the genocide that's happening now currently with the child protection system, for example, the, a new stolen generation. Yeah, well, um, a lot of um, issues are occurring within um, systematic uh, processes of government, both local, regional, state, and also federal, state, territory, and federal. One of them is that they said, okay, um, incarceration rates would go down. Uh, it's actually gone the opposite way, and the First Nations people are now probably the most um, incarcerated of all of the nations within Australia, whether they be um, uh, Middle Eastern uh, background, whether they be uh, Asiatic, or whether they be European. Um, if you go and look in the penal systems at the moment with the correction services, um, you will um, come across about five or six Aboriginal people in any given group before you'll come across anyone else from any other sort of racial background. Then you also have to look at um, 
the, the rate of um, taking children away from their um, culture, from their people, and that's also increased as well. They said, OK, we, the style of the generations, um, we won't do that anymore, they said. No, we will stop that. And yet the rate for Aboriginal children being taken away from their, their family, from their, their country, from their culture, has also increased. And they said, oh, we're doing it for your own good. And I said, well, you may be, but you're doing it the wrong way. You know, and all of the stuff that needs to be talked about here is to say, if you're going to try and help us, talk to us first, and then we can work out a plan. The other side of the coin is, is that if you don't talk to us, we're doomed to failure because you're just going to repeat everything you've always done before. Now, the other thing is, if you look at um, the, the rate of health and education in our society at the moment, that's getting marginally better but not to the rate that it really should be. We can do much better with education. We can do much better with health. Um, but we have been moving forward, and which is good, but we need to do more in, that, in those spaces. What do you think about the voice to Parliament moving forward? OK. Now, here's where it gets a little bit dicey, because um, there are people out there who are so ardent to say, we want this thing. And we will do anything in our power to make this thing happen. That this voice of parliament will occur, regardless of whether it's going to be a benefit or not. We want it to be there. And there are other people saying, we don't need it. We've already had a, a type of voice of parliament there in existence already. And they say, all we're doing is just reinventing an old wheel and pushing it out as a new wheel and seeing if it works. Now, my attitude is this. Yes, I would like to see a constantly enshrined voice to Parliament, but it has to be on the terms of Aboriginal Australians, and it has to be all of us. Currently, all of these think tanks that are going around and talking to people, one, they're only talking to specific groups of people, not a wider group or a wider selection within the community, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, and I'll come to the non-Aboriginal bit in a sec. And the other side of the coin here is you have these people out there to say, we want to make sure that there is no vestige of an element that Aboriginal people then will start to make clean claims that they'll start to do things and turn the country into a black space instead of the space that currently exists, which is a, a polyglot of both black, white and Australoid, Euroloid, um, uh, Asiatic people and all of those sorts of um, backgrounds. But the thing is, we've got to all get along. You know, the other side of the coin that I've spoken to uh, many people about, both black and white, is this. We have to talk to everyone. I said, oh, well, we're talking to every, every black person we can get. Well, no, you're not. You're only talking to a specific few. You need to get out and talk to more. Okay, and the other thing is, there are white people in this too that are going to be saying, hang on, we want to support you, but how can we support you when you're not even supporting yourself? And that means that any support we can get outside of our own nation will not um, only develop, not develop, it'll go backwards as well. And everyone says, oh, but hang on, this is a, this is a black policy in the voice of Parliament. They says, yes, it is. But these white fellows, too, also have a vested interest because it's going to change, make changes to the Constitution. And these people who are First Nations people, their heart is in the right place. They want to support us. But how can they support us when, when we don't even know what's happening within our own communities and talking to each other and all of that sort of stuff? And what we need to do is to make sure that we are talking to people, that we are talking to everyone. Not just a specific thing. So you're, I understand what you're saying there. So there's two points coming from here, Uncle. So you're saying really that all, all Aboriginal people and clans need to be consulted. That's the first point. And you're also saying that it's all about unity, that we've oh, got yeah, to have no, unity. Yes. 
it, that that last word is is, is it all together. Um, we've got to have unity, everyone, not just our First Nations people, but everyone in this country. The only way we can get through this is together. Now, um, as far as um, the elements of uh, people in, in the nation turning around and saying that they want to be consulted. Now, I was speaking to someone from the Daily Telegraph um, a, a couple of weeks back, and I said, what I'd like to see is the following, that they have a roadshow where they go, the, the, Bush, the, the parliamentarians and their think tanks and all of that sort of stuff, like, get up on a couple of buses, maybe half a dozen or something like that, you know, and travel to every single state and territory and go and speak to everyone. Go into a town hall and say, today we're meeting everyone, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, and have everyone's voice heard and talk about certain issues and specific issues. Now, they'll say, oh, that'll take a long time, take a lot of money. So bloody well what? At least you're talking to someone and you're talking to the people that are on the ground. So jump on those buses, go out there to every state, every territory, go to the town halls, go to the, the halls, you know, like uh, your community halls and all of that sort of stuff. Go and book a park out, you know, put up a whole pile of pavilions and say, all right, everyone, come forward and speak your piece and we will record what you say, we will take it away, we will then digest it, we will pull it apart, put it back in as it, this is what we found out. That's the way it should be done because at the moment the government has only talked to specific people and I'm pretty sure about specific questions when really it should be a bit, yes, definitely specific, but also, some of those questions could be more general in, in ideology to say, okay, how do you feel about these things? You know, what, how does this feel emotionally to you and how is your attachment to it? Um, white people say to us, oh, you blackfellas always get the ideology that you claim land and that because you think you own it. And I said, and I said yeah, what about the idea that a farmer goes out there and he loses his farm? Doesn't he have an attachment to his farm? Exactly. It's the same as Aboriginal people with their land. And all of that that goes with it, you know, all the river systems, the, uh, all, all the animals, the environment that goes with it, and everything that, that you can imagine. What we've got here is these people that are going around, and they're one, they're not talking to the right people, they're not taking their time, and they're not talking to everyone. And that's the thing. We're going to talk to everyone, and we have to have unity. We do. Uncle, thank you so much for coming onto the program, and I'm hoping that you can come back again and we can we can chat about this a bit more. My my darling, that would be no worries. Now, listen to your uh, audience out there. Um, I wish you all the best, okay? Um, I know that uh, some of the audience at the moment might be within correction services, but I can say to you this. This too will end. You will come on the outside. You'll go back into society and go back out there and do good things. I know you can. You've got it within you. Thank you kindly. Oh, I'm so glad you gave out a... a a cheerio to the prisoners as well. Good on you, Uncle. Thanks so much. Thank you. All the best, my love. Take care. Bye. And that was Uncle Kelvin speaking about a range of topics, really, look, looking at unity, um, black, white or brindle, as Uncle Ray Jackson used to say. He's passed away now. I've thought a lot about him lately, actually. What would he, what would he say about the voice to Parliament? That would be really interesting to hear. And the Doing Time show has actually got plans to do a, a lot more coverage um, about that. So just to put everything together that's been looked at, um, just wanted to thank Cheryl from Change the Record and also Uncle Kelvin for coming onto the show. Um, just a few words about Invasion Day. 
So the 26th of January is of particular significance as it marks the 51st anniversary of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, which has established the Tent Embassy, which was established on the lawns of what is now Old Parliament House on the date that marks the invasion in 1972. So there's a lot of history and, you know, we had rallies all over Australia and 3CR actually did a special broadcast about this and that that was actually um, broadcast on Thursday itself. And, of course, just quickly revisiting the findings of the inquest of Veronica Nelson, um, which were handed down today with, which, with um, Coroner Simon McGregor. And one of the things that I found quite compelling in regards to the findings is that the Charter of the Victorian Charter of Human Rights was talked about a great deal, and the sections of that charter were were invoked, were, were talked about, and also looking at the bail laws in detail, um, the coroner explained how those laws actually contributed to Veronica Nelson's death. And basically also the systemic failures of Correct Care Australasia and also um, the, the prison itself about and also about how there were inaccurate records that were produced by one of the doctors. And... As I was keep saying, and I and I think Auntie Vicky Roach um, also spoke about all this as well. The stigmatisation of um, women in prison that are withdrawing from heroin, and there is actually a stigma because, I, well, you know, the officers or the the staff might say, "Oh, well, that you're coming back to jail. You shouldn't be taking drugs, um, and you're withdrawing." So. Also, just to let listeners know that Veronica Nelson did also die of a very rare um, condition, I believe, of, of, of the stomach. So the vomiting was all attributed to withdrawal. And I think that these findings really have looked at a lot of um, systemic failures, and not only systemic failures, but as I said, also stigmatisation. I'll be providing a lot more extensive coverage about this inquest in the coming weeks. It's approximately 4.54 and we have about three minutes left of our show. And thank you to our guests for for coming on. And we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. We've got climate action coming up next. About a minute left and I'm out of here. And stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. And it's goodbye from Marissa. Take care of each other. Third time lucky. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. A true fella, as long as you are real fella.